Welcome to the Fam Time Podcast, where we discuss family time, family worship, and many other topics related to home discipleship. We hope to encourage and equip you in your parenting journey. Here are your hosts, Frank Trimble, Jenna Halleck, and Stacy Ludwig. Well, I am excited and thankful to be with Rob Reno of Visionary Family Ministries today on the Fam Time Podcast. Welcome, Rob. Hey, Frank. I've been looking forward to talking with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, I met you, I'm tr- I was trying to remember as we were getting ready for this podcast, I met you years ago, but I could not pin down when that was, Like, because there were several different events that happened, I feel like, in the same year, um, but I think it might have been something to do with Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, uh, but I could be wrong, because there was a solid year there, though, where I kept hearing your name over and over, but I think really the first recommendation I got was Dr. Richard Ross at Southwestern Seminary. Well, Richard Ross, like so many, uh, for so many of us, has been a huge mentor and impact in uh, in my life, both as a, a father, but then also as a church leader. So, um, if we've got the common ground of, of Richard Ross, we're blessed men. Absolutely, and I think it was, I think it was one of those things where he continually kept referencing you, and I was like, who who is this guy? And so I immediately uh, looked up your information, Visionary Family Ministries. And then you came and you did a conference. This is what it was, Youth Ministry Lab at Southwestern Seminary. I can't remember what year this was. Uh, But you did a day-long seminar with Dr. Ross. I sat in on that and just, man, what a great time. So I instantly connected with with your ministry. So tell us really briefly just about um, what your ministry is. I mean, what's the, uh, the thrust of your ministry? Just tell us about Visionary Family Ministries. Tell us about your family, if you would, uh, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, well, as far as my family, my wife, Amy, and I just celebrated 28 years together. We've been blessed, amen, we've been blessed with seven children. We've got two married, two in college. We've got one in high school, one in junior high, one in elementary school, and a granddaughter. So we are launching kids, uh, getting them off the payroll, and welcoming grandbabies on the other side. So we've got this big family with um, lots of joy and lots of happiness and lots of problems, daily, daily problems very much in need of God's uh, grace and mercy in our home every day. And Visionary Family Ministries, it started from a chapter of repentance in my life. Uh, Amy and I had been married 10 years. This was 2004. As a youth pastor, I was investing myself in other people's kids. We loved youth ministry. It was a great season of ministry for us. Um, But I was investing myself in other people's children, and I was spiritually neglecting my children. And this summer of 2004, the Lord really convicted me of that, convicted me that I had been putting my spiritual um, opportunities at church in front of my spiritual responsibilities at home. And as it says in Malachi 4 and Luke 1, turned my heart to the ministry of my children. So ever since then, we've been on this journey. It's been 18 years of, of What does it mean for us to live for Christ at home? What does it mean for us to make our marriage our first ministry? What does it mean to have an intentional plan to help our kids follow Jesus? No guarantees, no magic formulas, no do one, two, three, and everything's going to be great. But what does it really mean to have our family engaged in the mission of the gospel? And uh, Visionary Family Ministries came out of that. Amy and I uh, launched this 11 years ago. Our mission is to build the church through a global reformation of family discipleship. So it's equipping families to partner with churches to advance the gospel. 
I love, there's so many things that we could touch on there, but I love your personal and professional reform. I mean, that kind of language that you've used. Hey, I had a reformation in my home, in my heart, and as a youth minister in church ministry. But I also love that, I mean, your focus is family ministry, but it's really discipleship. It's really the Great Commission. It's connected to the larger church. I mean, there's there's plenty of uh, room for people to overgeneralize kind of what family ministry is and what family ministry nonprofits do. But I love how you are connecting it to the Great Commission, what we're all supposed to do as the family of God, and what do, where do families fit into that? You know, so I love that larger picture. And family time is actually a big part of my testimony as the Lord was getting a hold of my heart. You know, it's, it, Amy and I had a fairly common situation where Amy was spiritually lonely in our home, right? We were both Christians, but she was really the spiritual leader as I was too busy at work. And um, as God was bringing me through this repentance period and turning my heart to my family, Amy went to a conference where she heard about family time and she heard from Kirk Weaver and all these resources that, that parents could use to be intentional about having wow. spiritual conversations in the home. And so God brought family time into my life at a critical juncture when I was really needing help, even as a pastor, of how do I have these spiritual conversations at home with my kids? Right. That's a, that's a part of, that's very, very similar to my story, a little bit of different details, but I find that so many mothers and fathers, grandparents are just looking for a place to start, you know, looking for, I know I was just looking for, I, you know, I'm a believer. I love the Lord. I'm in seminary. I'm in ministry, but this overwhelming feeling came over me of where do I even begin? You know, where do I even begin with my kids? Where do I begin with my wife, and so uh, that's so cool, and we've known that um, uh, just the connection between our ministries and how your wife encountered our founder and just how that ministry has been in your house as well, and you've been such a vocal supporter of Family Time Training, and we're so thankful for that. And you, through Visionary Family Ministries, you put out resources uh, that also give families a place to start and more. Uh, so tell us a little bit a uh, little bit about kind of uh, some of the new uh products that you have coming out with Visionary Family Ministry, we want to know about that. We want to know what uh, people could be looking for when they go to your website. Yeah, sure. Our, our heartbeat book is Visionary Parenting. Mm -hmm. And Amy and I first wrote Visionary Parenting when our oldest child was 12. And I don't recommend writing a book on parenting when your oldest child is 12. Now, the good <laughs> news is the good news is there's a lot of Bible in there. So that's, uh, that's the key for, for all of us. And um, I saw a great meme the other day. It was parents of young kids write books on parenting. Parents of older kids write books on prayer. I thought that was perfect. Um, but we, we, actually, we actually did a second edition of Visionary Parenting now that our children are adults, uh, revised and expanded. So uh, we'd love for you to pick that up. Also, our book, Visionary Marriage, uh, goes through our marriage journey and marriage uh, reformation. Those would probably be the two places to start. But there's uh, lots of books and resources and videos at our website, visionaryfam.com. Absolutely. And those are some foundational books to uh, for our listeners to kind of get a feel for Visionary Family Ministries and what you're about, Rob, what your wife's about, what your whole family team is about. Um, and it leads me to one of your newest resources, Visionary Church. The book called the book is called Visionary Church, How Your Church Can Strengthen Families. And we're going to feature this um, on our uh, top five blog next month. Um, but 
This book is is wonderful. This book is such a good read. Uh, it's one of these books. I have several books that I kind of refer to myself as uh, not one-stop shops. I mean, these these books seem to have they're not exhaustive truly, but like they are just such valuable resources for families, yes, but also church leaders. Uh, and just given the the name that I just mentioned, there's so many different things that we could talk about in this book that I feel like would really encourage and help our listeners. But there's one area that I would love to zero in on, and that's this idea of jurisdictions. And so based on the institutions that God has created. So you have a chapter, I believe it's chapter 5 in this book, called Jurisdictions 101. And so would you introduce us, would you introduce our audience to what jurisdictions are? What are we talking about? Give them a, a taste of what they would receive in the book. Help us to understand what jurisdictions are and why it's important for us to know. Well, this is a, a lost doctrine. And by lost, I mean, we don't really talk about it very much, even though it is front and center in all of the critical issues that we're facing in our families, in our churches, and in our culture. So here's the gist, Jurisdiction 101, that God created four jurisdictions or four realms or four authorities. He created the individual, he created the family, he created the local church, and he created the government. All of these institutions, and you and I are institutions as individuals, right? We, we have responsibilities that God gives to us personally. Mm -hmm. God created each one of these institutions with roles and responsibilities. They have jobs to do. And the doctrine of jurisdiction is that the right jurisdiction needs to do the right job. And if the wrong jurisdiction takes over a job from another jurisdiction, things go really badly. So for instance, let's say somebody breaks into my house, steals a bunch of my stuff, and I see them taken off you know, down the street in their pickup truck with all the stuff that they stole from my house. So I book it after them. I chase them down. I corner them in the parking lot uh, of, of Walmart. Uh, I pull out a gun and I say, you are under arrest. Get in my, get in my van. I put the guy in the back of my van. I take him home. I lock him in my basement, right? right? Because he's a thief and needs to be locked up. And I keep him in my basement, let's say 60 days, because I think that's a fair punishment for stealing my stuff. Now, people would be like, whoa, okay, time out, Rob. Uh, okay, <laughs> yes, the guy took your stuff. Yes, you know, he he maybe needs to get a consequence or give your stuff back or go to jail or whatever it is. But that's not your job. You don't actually have the right, do you, mm -hmm. to lock a guy in your basement because he stole your stuff. That's a jurisdiction of the government. Excellent. God gave the jurisdiction of taking care of bad guys to the government. And if the wrong jurisdiction takes over the government's job, it's really going to get messed up. Or here's another example. Let's say your pastor on Sunday morning stands up and says, uh, you know, we, we've been letting you know that we've had some behavior problems in the nursery and the little kids ministry for the past couple of months. You know, you probably heard about some of that stuff. And so the way we're going to handle that from this point forward is I have instructed our, uh, you know, young elementary teachers, if kids get out of line, just spank them, spank right. those kids and, and deal with it. Now, I hope if you're a parent in the pew, you're like, uh, no. All right. Yeah. I'm getting my kid out of there right now. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you know what? And that that's not really an issue of spanking per se. In other words, somebody might right. say, well, spanking's right, spanking's wrong. That's not what would be issue right there. The issue there would be you don't have the right to spank my 
kid. You don't have the right. You don't have the authority. You don't have the authority. You don't. And, and so all of that, what you're actually doing is you're thinking jurisdictionally and you'd be correct. There's nothing in the Bible that would give a pastor at church the right to do, in this case, like corporal punishment, okay, with, right. with a, a, a child that would clearly be in the jurisdiction of the family. So we've, we're in this situation now. Um, let, let, me, let me give you another example. Here's a real one sure. that I deal with all the time. Um, let's talk about the task of providing moral education to children, right? Moral education to children, or let's be real specific, sexual education. Let's teach, sure. let's teach kids what's right and wrong about sexuality. If you locked yourself in a room with the Bible and you say, God, who is supposed to teach children right and wrong with sexual ethics? You would find two jurisdictions. You'd find the family primarily, and you'd also find the community of faith, the believers, the local church as having a, a role here in teaching sexual morality. You would not find any role for the government in teaching sexual morality to children. Yet I've talked to many, many parents. I'll say, hey, are you talking to your kids about sexuality? I've had parents actually say to me, they have assemblies at school every semester where they talk about that. And they're not talking about their Christian school. They're talking about their government school. Sure. They have assemblies at school where they talk about sexuality and they do that in health class. So that's not a conversation I need to have. Boy, talk about a jurisdictional disaster. Okay, right. now here's the here's the principle. I'll say this and I'll be done and take, turn it back to you. Here's the jurisdictional principle. When the wrong jurisdiction takes over the job of another jurisdiction, number one, the task will not be accomplished and the proper jurisdiction is going to be robbed of motivation, time, and resources to do the job. So if the school takes over sex ed, number one, the task of sex ed will not be accomplished. Okay, yeah. we can see that front and center. And then the proper jurisdiction, parents, will be robbed of motivation, time, and resources to do the job. So there's 101. Wow. And, and it, that just screams common sense to me, for sure. And I hope that as our listeners are listening to these examples, that, that makes sense. Um, and we know these institutions have been created by God, but would you help us out a little bit with a little bit of the biblical foundation? We don't have to cover all of the passages or anything like that, but would you give us an example of this playing out in, in Scripture or where we get this foundationally from, from the Bible? Sure, absolutely. It's very interesting. If you take all the commands of Scripture— some of those commands are given to specific people or groups, right? But the vast majority of the commands are commands for individuals, God's instructions for individual people. Ooh. So the greatest amount of, of God's direction, if you will, is for individual people. You then have a lot of instructions for families and you have a lot of instructions for parents right there in Deuteronomy 6 in the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. That's for every individual. Now God speaks to parents and grandparents. Teach God's word diligently to your children and talk about them at home with your family. So now God's speaking to parents. Now God's speaking to families. We also have instructions in the New Testament for local churches, for local church leaders. What are pastors supposed to do? What are pastors supposed to not supposed to do? Those are specific instructions for churches. And then we also have a limited number of instructions for government leaders. And the reason why there's so few instructions for government leaders is because the government's job is supposed to be very narrow and very limited. Yeah. Um, so Romans 13, for instance, God has given the authority 
to human government, for instance, to protect the citizenry, to deal with bad guys, and to establish just laws. So those would be responsibilities that God gives to the government. Now, this is really interesting. So the vast majority of God's focus in scripture is on individual responsibility, right? And the most limited jurisdiction is the government. So what does Satan want? He wants to flip it around. He wants to completely flip it around where the government is the supreme institution with the most tasks and the individual is the least important piece in God's, in in the world system. Wow. And this, this is, this has huge implications for so many things. Uh, But I even think about, so you have the institution of the government versus the institution of the home, but I even think about the divide that has seemingly been there for at least the last hundred years or maybe more of the divide between the home and uh, the church and how those two should work in harmony together. And I feel like a proper understanding of jurisdictions might help that divide, right? Absolutely. I think probably the conversation that comes to mind first Mm -hmm. is the conversation about uh, education of children, right? Uh, Sunday school and youth group. I think you're right. Mid 20th century, late 20th century, there was, and I think about my mom. Okay. My mom came to Christ when I was a baby. She was the first Christian in our family tree. And so her Christian friend said, the most important thing for you to do now as a Christian mom is to make sure little Robbie, that's me, is in Sunday school and in youth group. And I love Sunday school and I love youth group. But the most important thing, according to the Bible, that my mom needed to do was not get me in Sunday school. It was to pray with me at home and to read God's word with me at home. There's actually commands in scripture for her to do that, for her to give the meal to me at home so that Sunday school and youth group could be a vitamin boost that would support the meal I was getting in the home. But you see, that's all jurisdictional uh, thinking. And it's so critical that when um, Sunday school leaders, Christian ed leaders in the church and youth pastors, and this was the transformation I had to go through, right? Oh my goodness. God says that parents are supposed to be the primary spiritual trainers of their children in the home. Here I am as the youth pastor, and I've been telling the church folks, just drop your kids off for me and I'll take care of it. Now, I never said it quite that crassly, right? Right. Um, But I implicitly said that. So it, it transformed the way I had to approach youth ministry. I now had to have a train the trainer mindset. I had to now think I have to equip the parents of my church to spiritually connect with their teenagers. When I'm with those teenagers, I've got to turn their hearts to their parents. When I'm with their parents, I got to turn their hearts to their teenagers. Uh, I and, and now I do have a lot of kids in the youth group who don't have Christian parents. Right. In other words, they don't get meals at home. Sure. All they get is the vitamin boost at church. And right. I need to give them special attention. I got to equip the church parents to shepherd their kids so that I can really rock it and focus my care for those kids who don't have Christian parents. This is all jurisdictional theology. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I think about those. That's one of the questions that always comes up in family ministry discussions is, well, what about the kids that don't have Christian parents? And one thing that I always go to is just the idea of, the church opening their doors to this, for lack of a better word, spiritual orphan. You know, I think about the friends of your kids, if you're a Christian family, welcoming them in, welcoming to your table. And I know it's not as simple as all that, but there's been such a weight, I feel, placed on youth ministers and children ministers' shoulders to say, hey, take care of it. You know, go reach the town, report back with results. 
And instead we're going, man, they can't do this alone. It's the wrong jurisdiction. <laughs> or it's a it's an incomplete a picture of what these different parties are supposed to be doing. Yeah, and you're bringing up something else. You, once you start to put this jurisdictional lens on, you'll see it all over the place. So now we're talking about reaching the lost, right? Right. We're talking about reaching kids who don't know Jesus and families Bangor. who don't know Jesus. So now let's ask the question, which jurisdictions in scripture are given the responsibility to go out into the community and share the good news of Jesus? First of all, individuals, very right. clearly. Second of all, families through the ministry of hospitality. And here's where it gets a little crazy. Certainly not the government. The government's never charged with right. going and preaching the gospel. Right. And you also don't find any pattern in the New Testament. I don't mean to step on any toes here, but I'm just going to say it. You don't find any pattern in the New Testament of people bringing non-Christian friends to church to have the pastor share Jesus with them. Right. That's not the pattern. The right. local church is not responsible for evangelism. The local church is responsible to equip believers and believing families to go out in the community and do evangelism. And you might say, well, what's the difference? It's a huge difference yes. because we have so many people in the church, right? For them, evangelism means bringing their friend to a church event. And that's fine. Bring your friends sure. to church. Praise right. God, yeah. go for it. But, you know, we have this thing at our at our church where we say, look, you're not going to get a lot of pressure at our church to bring your friends to church. They're always welcome, of course, but you are going to get some godly pressure to bring your friends to your house. Yeah, that's huge. Because that's the natural place of evangelism. I hear, I've heard you say before, you know, if you've got a, uh, if you've got a barbecue that you're about to put on at your house, you know, it's pretty natural if you have any familiarity with your friends in the neighborhood or acquaintances in the neighborhood to say, hey, we're going to have a block party. We're going to welcome you guys over. Hey, it's going to be the first Saturday in September or whatever it is. Come on over, free barbecue. There's there's games. There's all these different things. I mean, they might say yes. They know you. It's free food. Every, everybody from the community might be there. Uh, but there is a certain apprehension, though, if you say, hey, come to my church. We're going to have a barbecue, and then we're going to have a certain... I mean, there's a certain uh, familiarity there, and, and there's a certain awkwardness there, too, that I feel is unnecessary when we could just go, hey, although it might be awkward in our home as well, because evangelism can be awkward. Hospitality can be so difficult and so scary for so many of us. But it's like, which one is more natural? Which one, to me, makes more sense? And really what, what that leans into for me is this overall conversation of what, what's the church supposed to do? What's the home supposed to do? What are these different institutes? Give us an example. Now, you've already given us one, but give us an example, another example of something that happens at the church. So under their jurisdiction, that doesn't happen in the home. And here's the reason I ask that, because sometimes in, in family ministry circles, it can be, even in family worship conversations, it can be so easy to become insular, you know, to, to just say, hey, I'm the only one that can teach you. We're going to isolate. We're going to, you know, I don't, we don't need a preacher. And no, probably most people wouldn't go that far, but they get a little legalistic with it. They go a little too far. They overreach that jurisdiction. So um, what what is something, though, that a church does that the home doesn't under their jurisdiction? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Well, first of all, before you get into the, maybe what are the unique roles, you have you, you can't even get past the commandment for God's people to be in local churches and the pattern for God's people to be in local churches. So in other words, if I've got somebody who just says, look, we do family worship, you know, our, we meet as a family on Sunday morning and we preach and we sing and we do all that stuff. And man, why would I have to go to church to do all that? Uh, okay, we, we can talk about function 
in right. in a second because there are some functional differences, but I don't see how you get past, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, right? Some but in, gather and encourage each other all the more. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember, you know, I was having a conversation with, uh, these were actually a group of college students and they wanted to, they, they had been disenfranchised with church, um, but they still wanted to grow in their faith. And so they wanted to meet at Johnny's apartment every Friday night and sing some songs and talk about Jesus and call that church. I said, wow, you, man, you're going to meet at Johnny's place every Friday and sing songs and talk about Jesus. They're like, yep. I'm like, man, that's, that's awesome. Praise okay. God. Go for it. I, but I got a couple of questions for you. Are you, are you going to have elders there, biblically qualified elders? And they said, no, I said, you're going to have deacons there. Are you going to have uh, a communion? Uh, are you going to have church discipline? They're like, no, no, no. We're I'm like, well, man, I love what you're doing on Friday night, but it's not a church. Right. It's a gathering of believers for encouragement and right edification, which is yeah. it's a small group Bible study, but it's not a church because a church has essential ingredients that God gives us in the New Testament. Uh, elders, deacons, the preaching of the word, the ordinances, uh, the, the corporate worship corporate accountability, church discipline. So these are essential ingredients and essential jurisdictions that God's given to the local church. Yeah, and I feel like when they're followed, when the jurisdictions are recognized and followed, that leads to flourishing. When, like you said at the beginning, uh, reversing those or overemphasizing one over the other or vice versa, um, it starts to pollute things. It starts to get messy. That's when things don't go the way that God has designed them to go. Otherwise, he would have created the institutions differently. I mean, that's one of the big reasons why we're so passionate at family time uh, of this idea of regularly meeting together as a family and talking about Jesus in the home. Um, Even though, this is something that we say at our trainings, I say it willingly, um, there are people in my church, I guarantee there are people in my church that could teach my kids about Jesus better than me technically. You know what I mean? There are more creative people. You know, there are more educated people. There's all these different things. The children's minister at our church is just incredible. And yet it's not about skill level and not even about necessarily Bible knowledge or all these different things, but that's so much of the time. It can be so scary and so discouraging for parents that they go, look, I didn't go to seminary. I don't know anything about this. I feel like I'll be a hypocrite if I do this. So speak to that for a second. Since parents have this jurisdiction, the home has this jurisdiction, this job that they've been given, speak to that discouragement, speak to that, uh, that idea of the parents saying, look, I'm not qualified. Yeah. Well, the vision of family ministry or Christian parenting is not thou shalt be a perfect Christian in order to help thy children be perfect Christians. <laughs> right. That's not what we're talking about here. Right. This is each mother and father, grandmother and grandfather, bumbling and stumbling forward in a humble walk with Jesus, inviting their children and grandchildren to join them. I think you really put your finger on something. Discipleship is not at its heart the transfer of information Mm -hmm. so that children believe the right list of things. We know what the Bible says, the demons have great theology, right? And, and, And shudder. You know, people, I, I can't give you chapter and verse on this because it's sort of a summary statement. So sure. don't don't take it too far. But like, what is the purpose of being a parent or what is the role of being a parent? For me, it's building a loving, heart-connected relationship with my child to help them have a loving, heart-connected relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
And, and is there information and gospel information that, that is a part of that? Of, of course there is. But the passing of the faith is not the passing of information. It's the passing of love. It's the passing of love from me to my child who receives my love, who then when I tell them you have a heavenly father who loves you, he really loves you. You know, your dad doesn't do a very good job of it. He loves you perfectly. And he's proven it through his son, Jesus, that they are able to, just as they trust my imperfect love for them, they're able to put their full trust in God's perfect love for them. Oh, I love that distinction. And I hope, listeners, I hope that encourages you. I mean, it is so tempting, not just for parents, but for pastors too, and you name it, uh, Christian educators, you name it, to just think of it as a list. And while doctrine is very important, um, I love that distinction between a list of just teach them these things or a heart connection. Like you and I have heard Dr. Ross talk about so many times and the importance of warmth in the home, the importance of a relationship. I, I don't remember the first person that told me, it was probably a youth ministry class, but you know, discipleship does not happen outside of the context of a relationship. And that, that always stuck with me as a youth pastor. Well, before I had kids uh, to go, hey, I've got to be willing to know these people when some of the most distant people in our lives sometimes can be in our own house. Um, so maybe this, before we go into kind of our last part here, what, what encouragement would you have to that parent who has a teenage uh, son or daughter, maybe more than one, um, where they have done nothing? They've done nothing from uh, before the kid was born all the way. They might have gone to church occasionally. Then all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off over their head that even after 15, 16, 17, 18 years, they've never even prayed before a meal, and all of a sudden they hear you in a breakout session or they read visionary parenting, and they're going, oh, wow, what, uh, the, the guilt they deal with, so speak to that if you would, but also, um, what do they do? I mean, I know that's a big question, uh, but I know there's a lot of people in that space um, that, that, that see the, the benefit of it, and they want to do it, but they feel like if they started it now, they would just be a hypocrite, or they would just be, you know, they, you know so speak to that whole situation, because I know you've seen that as well. Well, that is such a great question. And that part of me would just say, well, welcome to the club. If you feel like you've fallen short and, and feeling all those feelings of guilt. Let me go back real quick. I'm going to answer that. Let me go back real quick to um, this parent that feels maybe inadequate sure. from the standpoint of how could I possibly help my kids follow Jesus? This is just something I discovered last night. So I, I'm not going to articulate it very well, and I'm still studying it. Sure. But uh, just, just a few days ago, um, Mikhail Gorbachev died. He was the uh, president or premier of, of Russia during the fall of the Soviet Union, during the Ronald Reagan days. And I was uh, listening to some histories uh, uh, about him and discovered something fascinating about his wife. His wife, Reza uh, Gorbachev, was an avowed uh, communist, and she was actually much more philosophically minded about spreading atheism in the Soviet Union um, and she actually kind of radicalized him to to some degree. And uh, of all things, I was pointed toward her doctoral dissertation paper. Reading this last night, combing through this, where she was uh, she was troubled about the rural Russians because the rural Russians were still clinging to um, a belief in God. The folks in the cities had been pretty well propagandized, pretty well atheistized. I don't. That's not the right word. 
So she wrote her dissertation. What do we do with these, uh, you know, poor people out in the the hicks who are clinging to their uh, superstitions and ignorance? Is what wow. she said. Fascinating. There was something very interesting. She said, she said one of the things we have to do is we have to stop the literacy programs for the elderly. Okay, bear with me here. This is going to be short. I'm getting somewhere. No, this is good. They had elderly folks out in these rural, right, areas of the Soviet Union who were illiterate. And so they began to do literacy classes for them. She said, we have to stop these literacy classes and we have to get them back to work. We've got to get them back in the field because now that they're doing literacy classes, they're in the home with little ones. And these little ones are learning about their religious traditions from their grandparents, and they're sticking with their religious traditions rather than embracing the Soviet state. Oh, wow. So here's here's my point. In the Soviet Union, illiterate grandparents who spent their lives working in the fields who can't read or write are helping their grandchildren believe in God and follow Jesus. And the Soviet Union is like targeting them to get them out of the house. My point is, you can do it. <laughs> God can help you. That is absolutely fascinating to me. Isn't that I mean, a fascinating? Back to the question about a teenager. I'll tell you a story. I was sharing um, Deuteronomy 6 and my testimony with uh, a, a group um, at a church many years ago. And one of the deacons at the church came up to me afterwards. This was a Sunday morning. And he said, Rob, my daughters are 14 and 15. And uh, we've never done any family prayer. We've never done any family Bible. And and the Lord convicted me that I, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to try for the first time. Mm. And now it doesn't always go like this, but it, his first time went well. In other words, he asked the family if they could pray and read the scripture. And they spent maybe half an hour and the girls enjoyed it. And it doesn't always go like that. All right. But, but in this case, it did. Right. And he called me the next day and he said, let me tell you what my daughter said. And this is what I love. He said, and they said it in a sweet spirit, not in a judging spirit. They said, dad, why'd you wait so long to do this? And um, it was just a reminder to me, it's never too late to start. And you asked specifically, Frank, what what do I specifically do to start? Just call a family meeting and share your heart with them. Mm -hmm. Just say, hey, you know, I love you. And the Lord has really convicted me that maybe I haven't been the spiritual leader here that I've needed to be. I I haven't been leading us with prayer. I I haven't been leading us with an open Bible and, Mm -hmm. and, and show them Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. And and say that the Lord has put it on my heart that I need to take some steps forward in this area. And I'm, I'm worried and I'm afraid and I'm anxious and I'm insecure. Uh, do you all have any ideas for how do you think we could pray more together, how we could read God's word more together? I know God wants me to take some steps forward and I, I'd love to talk about how we can do it together. Just yeah. open your heart to them, ask for the Lord's help and he'll help you. I love that. It doesn't overcomplicate it. It starts with the heart, it starts with repentance which sounds scary, and but just the situation you just described, although that was probably hard for that parent, probably really hard. I mean, look at what came of it. And like you said, every situation's different. Um, the kids might reject it. I mean, you don't know. I mean, there's a lot there, but it really comes down to an obedience and a love to the Father first, and then a love and a, and a love for your family second. And keeping that order there, at least that's how I tend to compartmentalize it in my own mind, just to go, because you have a lot of, I feel like a lot of parents, and and I totally understand, because I feel this way sometimes, I just wish there was a formula, you know, you just wish there was a way to just, you know, sometimes people take that Proverbs 22.6 in a different way than it should be taken, and there's a lot of hurt and a lot of bitterness that comes 
uh, from that. And so I know, uh, man, there are so many different things we could talk about. And that's the, uh, we're going to have to have you back on is, is just the short and long of that. And I would point people to one of our other resources called yeah. Never Too Late. Never Too Late. It's our book for parents of adult kids or teenagers um, that for whatever reason, those adult children or teenagers are far from the Lord. And that message is it's never too late. In other words, it's never too late for God to use you as mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. And uh, you can get that at our website or wherever you buy your books or the video Bible study that goes with it. Again, that's called Never Too Late. Yes. And we recommend, our ministry recommends that book quite quite a bit because we encounter a lot of grandparents uh, that are in that boat. Um, and we've heard a lot of stories that'll just break your heart, but absolutely never too late is the title of that book. And, and go to Visionary. Is it visionaryfamilies.com? It's visionaryfam.com. As you can probably tell, God has blessed Rob as a great teacher. We don't want you to miss a second of this conversation. That's why we've decided to split this episode up into two parts. Of course, the first one is today, and you can expect the next one in two weeks. 